Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Steve. <laughs> hey, ladies, happy Mother's Day. And uh, I already got some treats for my wife, so I'm looking forward to spending the rest of the day with her. That would be great. A couple of things. There's a lot of stuff going around here at the church that a lot of times you don't get to be a part of. But just a couple of things. Last weekend, the junior high went on their camping trip, and they read the entire book of Matthew in one weekend. All right? Yeah, that's awesome. Give them a hand on that. That's incredible. So thanks to Zeb, Aubrey, and Abby. They led that weekend, but they read the whole book of Matthew in one weekend. That, that's really cool. And then just yesterday, our youth missions team went uh, down to Federal Way, joined the other churches that are going on the missions trip. And, uh, and James Lund went down and spoke to the whole group. So it was a full day doing all that stuff too. So that's really exciting. We're really hoping for that. And then uh, John Clements did a great job speaking the last week. So let's give John a hand. Thank you, John. That was good, man, right there, sitting there. And, and I just want you to know that if you feel called by the Holy Spirit to join the adventure of Northwind, that you have my full and open blessing and approval to do so. All right? Just know that. And so if you are interested, talk to John, talk to me, talk to one of us, and let us know, and we'll help, help hook you up on that stuff. All right, well, here we go. We're going to start a new series this morning. I'm excited. The weather's warming up. Isn't that great? It's going to be good. I sat in the car the other day and said, ooh, warm. Nice, you know? And uh, it was really good. And I just sat there praising God for his incredible, intelligent design. And I just saw his handiwork ever and thought, wow. And my roses will love it also. So it's really good. But um, on to bigger and better things. Uh, we're going to start a new series this morning. We are in... Uh, going to cover the book of 1 John, and uh, it's a series called Walking in the Light, and it's going to have a lot of real practical applications for us as we try to walk with Jesus. 1 John and the Gospel of John are, are very special books. Um, they have been deeply loved over the centuries by those who have read them, uh, mostly for their tone, their warmth, the way the truth is communicated. And, and one of the reasons that the book is special is because the author is special. The author is the Apostle John. And um, he was um, the one that Jesus loved. That's how he's known in the scripture. And therefore, he was not only close to Jesus, but he's also close to the heart of Jesus. And that, I think, carries over in the way that he writes about him. So we're, it seems like a good segue right here to have us turn to the Lord's heart also. So would you join me in prayer before we start? Let's commit this series to the Lord. I think, Lord, it's always a great thing to stop, especially at the beginning of the series, stop and, and to give that series to you. There are innumerable ways. There are uh, uncountable levels that your word goes. Every series can go in so many different directions. And Lord, as you lead, we would give that series to you, that you would shape it and speak to us through it in a living way, that we would take the old and capture the fresh. And Lord, that uh, we would have a sense of you being close to us, of you talking to us, of you communicating to us. And Lord, that we would um, feel compelled to walk in a manner worthy of you. We seek you for that. We ask for your favor in that and pray this in your name. Amen. All right, well, take your Bibles, open to 1 John, and while you're turning there, let's just do a little bit of background. Here is a map of Asia Minor, and uh, you can see there 
the, the town of Ephesus, all right, that, that's up there. That's one of the churches that was famous back in that day. John, of course, was one of the 12 disciples, and uh, history records that he ended up in southern Judea, but then because of persecution, he wound up in this town, Ephesus. And so uh, at the cross, Jesus asked John to take care of his mother. And so Mary and others went with John along uh, up, to, up to this town. And it was here that the Apostle Paul planted a church, right? We know about that from the book of Acts. And it appears that several others did as well. And so church planting in this area was exploding at that time. This is what we would call modern-day Turkey. You do not think of churches being in modern-day Turkey. But at this moment in history, this is the center of the church plant explosion. This is where it's all happening. This is where the Holy Spirit is busting it open. And uh, John actually ends up pastoring the church in Ephesus. Uh, Problems then quickly rose within and outside of the community, and his gospel and letters are written to other local churches in this area here to address these issues. And 1 John was written because of two conditions that developed. One was outside the church, and then one was inside the church. So you have these two different things. Condition number one was heresy started to arise. Uh, there was a guy, Serenthus, uh, was an early opponent of the Apostle John, believed that the Spirit of Jesus came upon the human Jesus at his baptism, then left him before he went on the cross. Now, there's a lot behind that, so let's walk into this a little bit. Uh, Serenthus differed quite a bit with John's historical Christianity. He did not believe that the supreme God created the physical world, that Jesus was not born of a virgin, but was a mere man, the product of a union between Joseph and Mary, and that the Christ descended on Jesus at his baptism, guided his ministry, and then, like we said, departed from him uh, before the cross. The second heresy that came into play is one called docetism. And docetism, dos, docetism means uh, to seem. Uh, and it's the Gnostic belief that the spirit is good. In other words, spiritual things are good, but material or earthly or bodily is bad. And therefore, Jesus did not have a real body. It just appeared that he did. That's where you get the term docetism, to seem. It seemed like he had a body. Uh, the teaching here is that Jesus didn't have a real body. He had a, what appeared to be a real body, but it was what they would have called an emanation. Uh, we would have probably called it a hologram, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, but uh, So although it appeared that he appeared to be there, he really wasn't quite really. Um, and to understand where these two ideas are coming from, we have to explore the third idea that held sway in the early church, and that would be Gnosticism. So you, you have Serenthus, and then you have Docetism, now you have Gnosticism. A lot of big words, but they're all heresies back in that day. Gnosticism, in some ways, uh, actually predated Christianity, but it found its fullest expression uh, actually coming out of early Christianity. Essentially, it revolves around the battle between the flesh and the spirit, which is a battle we're all too familiar with, right? We, we, we know that battle. We've been there, done that. And um, in essence, what the Gnostics said is that the spiritual was pure and holy, and that which is matter or flesh is corrupt. And so they had to rewrite the narrative of the Old and uh, New Testament 
And uh, Zach Zavda, in an article found on the website Learned Religions, lays this out to understand Gnosticism. He says this about it. He says, Gnostics believe that the world was divided into physical and spiritual realms. Dualistic would be. And in that dualism, uh, good and evil are equal. And so they war against each other. The created material world, matter, is evil. And therefore, in opposition to the world of the spirit, that, that only the spirit is good. Adherents of Gnosticism often constructed an evil lesser God, beings of the Old Testament, that explained the creation of the world matter. So they would say Yahweh was actually not the high God. Yahweh was actually a fallen God that created this corrupted world. And the reason the world was corrupted is because he was corrupt. That's kind of how that dialogue went. And they considered Jesus Christ a holy spiritual God. Gnostic writings often describe God as incomprehensible or unknowable. And this conflicts with Christianity's concept of a personal God, one who desires a relationship with human beings. Gnostics also separate the inferior God of creation from the superior God of redemption. So they break it out in in that category. When it comes to salvation, Gnostics claim hidden knowledge as the basis for salvation. Um, Adherents believe that secret revelation frees the divine spark within humans, allowing the human soul to return to the divine realm of light in which it belongs. Gnostics thus divided Christians into two categories, with one group being carnal, inferior, and the other group being spiritual, superior. Kind of sounds like our culture today, doesn't it? Right? Only the superior, divinely enlightened persons could comprehend the secret teachings and thus obtain true salvation. Christianity teaches that salvation is available to everyone, not just a special few, and that it comes from grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not from study or works. The only source of truth is the Bible, and that's what historic Christianity asserts. When it comes to Jesus Christ himself, Gnostics were divided uh, into two camps. One view held that he only appeared to have a human form, but was actually spirit only. That's docetism that we one we looked at already, and the other view contended that his divine spirit came upon his body at baptism and departed before the crucifixion. That would be Serenthus again. So you can see how this stuff was all coming out of uh, what was the beginning of the church movement, the church uh, that there was great things happening and there were bad things happening all at the same time. Christianity holds that Jesus was fully man and fully God, that his human and divine natures were both present and necessary to provide a suitable sacrifice for humanity's sins. So, so that's the first problem, right? I know that's a mouthful. You can look all that stuff up. Um, don't try to write that all down. But it's just to let you know kind of the tenor of what was gone. The second one uh, was a little more troubling, and that was false teachers. And the false teachers were, these were the teachers who were coming from out of the churches that the apostles were planting. And they started out as Orthodox or disciples of the people who planted the churches. But then they moved out to start their own version of Christianity. And thus they created schisms within the Christian community. So everything, you know, you say, oh, I just wish for the good old days. Well, the good old days weren't so good either. Right? They had their problems just like we do. But it was these false teachers, these, these are the ones we're looking at, that became especially problematic for the Apostle John 
in the early church uh, because they were people that they had once had fellowship with. They were people that they discipled. And, and you can imagine the angst and the pain that comes from that as this, you now have to confront them. It's always troubling when the problem doesn't come from the outside but comes from the inside. It's much harder to deal with. And so these are teachers who walked away to start something different, and that is so similar uh, and resonates with what's happening in our world today. The stories are coming in, if you look at today, at a regular and alarming rate. Uh, people in the and Christian ministry who are deconstructing their faith. Have you heard that? Right? That's the whole new thing. I, I was locked into this rigid system and I had to deconstruct and pull it all apart. And uh, usually that means they've become immoral somehow. The new age and its cosmic knowledge is still alive and well in 2021. And so the very things that John was wrestling with, we're wrestling with. And that's why First John will speak to us in some great ways during this series. Jesus... Uh, what they would say is that he never knew he was God or he never claimed to be God or was attributed to be God after his death. That kind of stuff is all over YouTube. You can find all kinds of sources for that. But just like back then, today, almost all of it had to do with who Jesus was or claimed to be from everything but the eyewitness accounts. And John will have none of this. John says, look, let me tell you what I saw. I was there. Let me tell you what I heard. I remember his teaching. Let me tell you what I handled. We walked and talked with him for three years. I know what took place. I'm going to put my own eyewitness signature on this thing. Thus the writing of the Gospel of John and 1 John came to be. As to the authenticity that it actually was the Apostle John uh, who wrote these books, the Expositor's Bible Commentary gives this evidence from Arrhenius, or Irenaeus, is how you say it, in his record of the history of the Muratorian canon. There you go. As follows. By the way, if you've never heard of the Muratorian canon, you should look it up. It's cool. The Apostle John, indeed, was the author of this book. He says this, The fourth of the Gospels, that of John, one of the disciples. When his fellow disciples and bishops urged him, he said, All right, fast with me from today for three days, and what will be revealed to each one, let us relate to one another. In other words, in English, that would be, hey, let's fast for three days. We'll let the Lord speak to us. We come together. Let's share what we thought we heard. All right? In the same night, it was revealed to Andrew. Andrew was Peter's brother, one of the apostles, that whilst all were to go over it, John in his own name should write everything down. For so he confesses in 1 John 1, 1, not merely an eye and ear witness, but also a writer of all the marvels of the Lord in order. Now that's old English. We're not too used to that. That's actually translated Latin or Greek. But uh, you can get the sense of John got picked by the Lord and the rest to write down these accounts. So let's take a look for ourselves at what Irenaeus was pointing out to us. Take your Bibles, turn uh, from... Uh, whatever form you're doing it in, whether it's your phone or the actual book. And uh, let's turn to 1 John together. And it reads like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and we've touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it 
and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Powerful opening. Manifest means clear or obvious to the eye. It became evident. You could see it. John is saying, I am an eyewitness. I was there and I proclaim eternal life to you through him. He, Jesus, is the avenue to the Father. By the way, in critical race theory today, that, that's really politically incorrect, all right? He says, this was made manifest to us. It was that clear. This is who we're talking about. Now, it's impossible to read these verses and not have your mind immediately jump to the Gospel of John, right? I know a number of you did. It went right to First uh, John chapter 1. So let's go there. And because they're, they're linked inextricably together, let's go to John chapter 1 and, and see the parallels. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Here John is highlighting the pre-existent, eternal, divine nature of Jesus. He actually attributes the creation of the universe and thus to the creation of the very planet he walked on to him, to Jesus. Thus, this is no mere man. He is the author of life. He's the creator of light. And the light will shine in the darkness, and the darkness, John says, will not overcome it. This is John's shot at the Gnostics. If you want knowledge, if you want light, if you want life, look to Jesus, not all this other stuff. This echoes Jesus' own words found in John, 10, John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. John goes on to write, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness of the light. Very clearly, the Apostle John makes the distinction between the two different lights, Jesus and John the Baptist. One was the messenger, that's John the Baptist, the lesser light. One was the message, Jesus Christ, that's the greater light. And now he speaks about this great light. Look at verses 19 to 13. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but the, but the will of God. We'll find this later as we go through the John series. It'll show up again in John chapter 5. And it is in his name, the name of Jesus, that we become God's children. No human agency, no advocacy, no human effort can produce this. No amount or strength of human will can bring it about. It is only the will of God that can produce this. And only in and through Jesus can one be saved. Now, we've shared a lot of stuff already this morning, but let me ask you a question. Do you believe John's telling the truth? These aren't just words. It's either he's telling the truth or he's lying. He's making it up just like 
he's claiming the other people are, do you believe he's telling you the truth? I think most of us say yes. Right? If you do, then you've surrendered to him and asked him to come into your life as Lord of your life and forgive you of all your sins. If you're saying, I don't have any sins to be forgiven of, uh, that's okay, we'll get to that next week. All right? <laughs> but if you are there and you're saying, you know, I've had this sense of God talking to me for quite a while, your prayer could go something like this. Lord Jesus, I recognize who John is. And I recognize who he's giving witness to. That, of course, would be you. For whatever reason, I've never crossed that faith line from looking on to believing. I've heard a lot. I've watched a lot. But some, for some reason, I've never moved. And I think I know why. It's the issue of control. I don't like my sin but I really like my control. And I realize that to step to you to, to cross that line, I would have to give that up. And I have never been willing to do that until now. The message that Jesus is my only option into heaven has caught my attention in a new way this morning. And it is compelling me to take a step of faith. I, here and now, surrender my life to your trust and will quit rebelling and let you be my leader. Come into my life, cleanse and forgive me of all my sins. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. That's a prayer that you could pray, or in a form of that prayer, to reach out to God and say, I don't know how to talk to him. That's one way that you could talk to him, either here in the auditorium, online, if you're watching in this morning. And if you prayed that prayer, please, please reach out to us. Uh, let us know you took that step. We would, we'd be glad to help you with next steps and to help you move on in your new faith journey. Well, continuing on, here's how John describes the manifest part. Gospel of John again, 14 and 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. From, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. A couple interesting things here. John clearly states that Jesus is God in the flesh. He is no phantom or image or hologram. Real person, real God, on our turf. John also is, is also highlighting the exclusivity of Jesus, which is totally politically incorrect these days, as I, as I mentioned. Jesus, who is the only Father, now sits at the right hand of the Father and has made it possible for us to know that Father. This is unbelievable, mind-blowing stuff. We'll go more into 1 John and we'll get more. But uh, going back to 1 John again, Having read the gospel, John, now let's relook at that intro. Watch that, and now look at the intro of 1 John again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, 
and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. I think John's a great writer, don't you? What John is describing here, what he's trying to put into words is who Jesus is because there was so much contentious, contention about that. The word manifest means to make apparent or uh, was clearly presented. We saw it. We heard him speak. John draws on Jesus' statements about his connection with the Father, that he and the Father were one. And it's a very important point then, and it has enormous impact for us today. Orthodox Christian theology states that Jesus is both fully God, John calls him the only God in John 1, and yet he is also fully human. The Word became flesh. This is what would later become known theologically as the hypostatic union, and you see it up here on the slide. The hypostatic union is merely a fancy term for the Christian doctrine that at his incarnation, okay, that is at his inception. Often people say at his birth, actually, it was at his inception, all right? The incarnation, Jesus was holy God as well as holy human. That Joseph was not his father, that the Holy Spirit was his father. Uh, going back into the Athanasian Creed, A.D. 360, recognized this doctrine and affirmed its importance, stating that, uh, and here's what it says, He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time, and He is human from the essence of His mother, born in time. Completely God, completely human, without a rational soul and a human with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as regards divinity, less than the Father in regards to humanity. Goes on to say this, although he is God and human, yet Christ is not two but one. He is one, however, not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God's taking humanity to himself. He is one, certainly not by the blending of his essence, but by the unity of his person. For just as one human is both rational soul and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and human. This uh, doesn't get played out in churches much anymore. In progressive Christianity, it really doesn't matter as long as you're tuned to the spirit of Jesus. And John is going, no, 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 no. That wasn't true in that day. It's not true today as well. This battle over the nature and person of Jesus uh, it was raging in John's day, and it is in ours as well. John is calling everyone back to the historical understanding that he and the other apostles were anchored to. Now, when we say the historical Jesus, you know, there's all kinds of stuff written about that, and we're talking from a 2,000-year vantage point. When John wrote it, he was writing about his lifetime. Historical Christianity was his life, what he had lived, right? He ran into Jesus as probably as a teenager, He's writing John here probably somewhere in his 60s to 80s. Nobody knows for sure. All right? So he's talking about his life when he's talking about historical Christianity. Isn't that interesting? So that's what he and the other apostles were anchored to, that Jesus was God in the flesh, that he was the promised Messiah, the one who would come and save his people, that he would die for the sins of the world, but that he would also be resurrected from the dead and live forevermore to intercede by sitting at the right hand of the Father till he returns to judge the living and the dead. That's the part we're in right now. We're waiting for that return. 
He goes on to show the incredible connectedness of Jesus and the Father in the next verses. Look at 1 John verses 3 and 4. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Interesting, John throws joy in here all of a sudden, right? John is saying, I testify you as an eyewitness that what I'm telling you about Jesus is true. I want you to know that. We saw him, we walked with him, we talked with him, we heard him speak. And because of that, we have fellowship with the Father and because of his Son, Jesus Christ. And through him, you can have that same fellowship. What's he pointing out here? That if you want fellowship with us, he was saying this in his day, he's saying if you want to have fellowship with us, the apostles, right, because they were still there, they were still on the earth at that point, it must be based on or laid on the foundation of who Jesus claimed to be and the testimony that I'm giving to you about him. And what's the product of that fellowship? Joy. Right? Interesting context, we'll go into it later. Uh, Gnosticism was not known for joy. All right, just, just so you know. And so John is, John is uh, camping on a telltale life signature fruit of the Spirit that was the difference that the Christians had versus what the Gnostics had, and that was joy. He says, I'm writing these things so that our joy, yours, will be complete. You know, Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Right? And John's pointing that out. It's also true today. True fellowship with Jesus produces joy. Yes, there are a lot of things wrong today, and they may get worse. But that has always been true. That was true in John's day, and it's true in ours as well. We don't have joy because things are going well. We have joy because of who we know. And we're going to camp on that as we go through this series. We're going to look at that. We're going to talk about the things that we have because of Jesus Christ. Uh, and my encouragement is let's just keep walking in that joy. We'll look further. We're going to come back next week. I hope this was a good introduction for you. But let's pray. Father, as we seek you, thank you. I, I want to say thank you for the Apostle John. Uh, everyone has certain people that stand out to them when it comes to Scripture, and John is certainly one of the giants. Somebody not only intellectually smart, relationally smart. Lord, he was right with you, and he models uh, stuff for us that needs to be followed. We're going to look at more of that as we come in the coming weeks. Lord, we seek you for this series that you'll point things out. I I hope some of this background stuff was really helpful and sets the context well. Lord, helps us think about it. And Lord, uh, may people uh, enjoy reading through 1 John while we go through this series, Father, and ask that you would speak as you so often do in ways that we never expected. We give that to you with great hope and pray this in your name. Amen.